listening to the Uloft podcast presented by United IUP, a community of college students and young adults in Indiana, Pennsylvania, who are dedicated to unite with each other and Christ to change the world around us. We hope that this podcast raises questions and answers others while ultimately starting a conversation to discover unifying biblical truth in this chaotic world. Okay. Why don't you tell everybody what you just said, Michael? I said one of my favorite parts of podcasting is listening to my own voice. Uh, <laughs> what did you say the other day that was along those same lines? I said that in most rooms, my presence is like a luxurious oil. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> For those of y'all who think Michael is a behind the scenes, you know, quiet, humble man, you have yet to spend enough time with him. <laughs> And if you did, you would recognize this is a daily and weekly occurrence. You know, but I love having Michael around because Michael uh, reminds me how far I've come uh, <laughs> from being <laughs> almost the exact same way. So thank you, Michael. That's a, a good standard of what you don't want to be. Yeah, you exactly. How far you've you know come. what you should do? You should hang out with Michael uh, for a while so that you can figure out what you don't want to be um, in, the, in the sense of humility. It'll help your sanctification process. Yes. Okay, so this is the Uloft Podcast. My name is Michael Vaughn, and I'm sitting here with Kendall Kersey. I'm back. He's back from Greece. All the way. That was a long way away. Across half the world. By the way, have you ever thought about this? Um, have you ever thought, I saw this, I saw a video the other day too that reminded me of it. Um, have you ever thought about the fact that if you were, so I flew from Greece to... Uh, America, obviously. Um, and when I was flying back, I like gained seven hours on the day, right? So I left, um, I woke up at 5 a.m. in Greece and I landed in DC, I think at 5 p.m. or something like that. It's kind of a weird thing. Uh, we flew to Germany, flew to DC, and we gained like seven hours on the day. Um, if you were to continue flying all the way to say I would go all the way to Hawaii and then I would go all the way across to Australia, I would have literally time traveled an entire day and jumped a whole day ahead. How insane is that? So like there's also the reason, the video that I saw, uh, there's this island right off, or not right off the coast. There's an island off the coast of Alaska and there is also an island off the coast of Russia that is separated um, by I think a quarter mile, like that's it. Uh, and when in the winter, uh, the water freezes, you can literally just walk across from island to island. And <laughs> what you would do if you walked across that island, like you can see the islands from each other, right? If you walked across the island from America to Russia, you would have uh, traveled into the next day. That's really strange. How insane is that? That's yeah. a quarter mile separating those two islands. Break your brain. Yeah, I'm out of my depth on this. Um, So if you were to fly, so you're saying you fly far enough, fast enough, you travel into the next day. Yes. Into the next. Into the next day. If you fly backwards. Or is it? Yes. If you fly backwards enough, you go to the next day. There's got to be like a threshold to that though. Like you, you know, like there'd be a point where you're just not flying fast enough. I mean- you don't really go okay, back. Okay, so yeah, but okay, let, let's look let's look at it this way. It took me it took us 13 hours to get to Pittsburgh, I believe, 13 hours. Um 
No, it would have taken longer because it was a 24-hour day by the time I got home. Um, like driving, flying, all that stuff. It was a 24-hour day. Um, however, at that point, it was 5 a.m. again in Greece on the next day. So if I continued that to fly then um, to uh, to fly to California, then to fly to Hawaii, that would be another 14-hour flight, which would put me <laughs> in the which would put me on the next day because I would continue to go backwards, right? So like I would continue to go back. It would be um, 10 a.m. or 10 p.m. here. If I went uh, 12 hours, it would end up being um, 10 a.m. in Hawaii by the time that I landed. And then when I flew over to Australia, I think that's another like six hour flight. So that would be another six hours backwards, but at some point it would jump forwards. Yeah, but the margin- And it would be Saturday night. The margin can only ever be one day forward or one day backward, right? Yes, but but it's basically a 24-hour period. So like people who are you could go backwards for you could go backwards 24 hours, which would basically be what I would do if I flew all the way to Hawaii. But then when I flew to if I flew to Australia, it would be 24 hours forward from the time that I left Hawaii. Yeah. People who are like into physics and math are listening to me ask you these questions and they're pulling their hair hair out because of how like ignorant I am on this. Well, so it it's, it has to do with the international dateline, but the international dateline is a construct of human beings. Like, we made it up. Yeah. Which is wild to think of. Like, have you ever thought of the fact, this is not what we're talking about, but this is just questions that I've always had. Have you ever thought of the fact that time is made up? That the, that the, uh, the counting of time is made up? Yeah. So for instance, if you're in a place where absolutely no change is taking place whatsoever in any way at all, it'd be really hard to measure time. Yes, for instance, time just measures change. Like the two like the two islands I talked about, those are so far north that in the summer they are completely in sunlight. It never changes. And since they're right next to each other, someone's or Russia's nine AM looks just like uh, America's nine PM. Yeah, so something on like a different a, day, something like a sundial wouldn't work in a place like that. Yeah, exactly. Like you'd have to be the only way for a sundial to work is you'd have to be basically right on the equator or really close to the equator. That, that would have to work perfectly. Um, that that's how it would work perfectly if you were on there. But even that's made up. Yeah, it's insane. And then during the winter, it's only ever dark. How about that? It never. There's never light. It's so only ever dark. What's really cool here is. Uh, the fact that these abstractions that we make up that we're able to use these and manipulate them in order to cause in order to take superiority over objective reality so like for instance mathematics works this way like mathematics it's all abstraction Mm -hmm. and we can leverage it to make spacecraft and we can leverage it to uh, have a podcast like we can do these things in reality and we can rain in reality using things that are not objective reality themselves they're yeah. like the, the abstraction is more powerful than the concrete yeah in that way how wild is it to think that so time math physics science all that stuff is made up technically it's made up by us it's an abstraction like you just said however god set the boundaries of it for us to be able to discover the boundaries of it for us to be able to create the abstraction for us to be able to count time or be able to get to space or be able to, uh, at the very remedial, like balance, you know, our bank account. Like, 
Yeah. It's, it's wild to think like these things technically did not exist at one point, but yet the constructs for them to be able to, uh, like we hadn't, like, na- we hadn't named them yeah, yet. Yeah, we didn't name them yet, but we've, we discovered them somehow and we stumbled upon them somehow and we continue to stumble upon things somehow that all have boundaries that God set up at the beginning of time. Yeah, I think it was Einstein who said that the most unintelligible thing about the universe is that it is intelligible. Like it just doesn't yeah. mean... I mean, that's why That's why for a while I wanted to study and teach physics because I was like... I did this too. Is I just incredible. Can't do, not, <laughs> you just suck like, at math. Yeah, like really <laughs> abysmally bad. Michael hasn't discovered math yet, actually. It's, <laughs> it's mystifying to me how hard it is for me compared to other people. I'm convinced that something around the third grade uh, era of my life in, in my education must have happened. I, I think it's touch dots. And this is pretty far into the weeds. <laughs> I think weeds, you've but... told me this, but this is insane. So, so when when I was in third grade, or it might have been second grade, uh, our teachers, our math teachers, taught us how to do addition and subtraction using touch dots. And so touch dots were basically like if you write the number five on a piece of paper, you would count by touching the number five on different parts of the actual number that you wrote down. And you would say one, two, three, four, five. And they would try to put touch dots onto each different digit of number. And then that's how you would do math and subtraction and all this. And I could never get away from that. Like once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. And I felt like it just handicapped me on things like algebra yeah. and things. Cause it just doesn't like You're not no, doing algebra and geometry with touch dots. Right. Like a lot of people hadn't even heard of that. I, I've, you told me that one time and I've never heard of that in all my years of like studying for education. Yeah. It just, like it's I've a, never it's <laughs> even such a heard of touch toxic dots. form of pedagogy that it destroyed my ability to do math forever. Now, did it destroy your ability or is that just your perception? And then you decided I suck at something. So I'm just not going to be good at it. I think I probably just was not good at it. And so I quit trying. Cause there's something to be said about that. There's a about... significant chunk of my life where my motto was when the going gets tough, quit. <laughs> Is, is that ever, does that ever rear its head again? Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> Are we, <laughs> so this podcast is not about physics and science. However, I would love to have a podcast about that with someone who's way smarter than me. So yeah. um, that is not here in that particular uh, degree. Michael is smarter than me when it comes to some things, but definitely not physics. So we will move on from this conversation. So yeah, that we've pained you enough. Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> I want to ask, how should a Christian handle anger? And what are some instances where anger is justified? And how do you utilize righteous anger? And so for a pretty good portion of my life, I even now sometimes, I try to train myself to just be calm all the time. Like some for something about something about that seems ideal to me. Just someone who's just calm all the time. Yeah. But then I think, okay, sometimes being calm isn't the right thing. Like when you think about a superhero or like the police, for example, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're, I guess they could be calm as they're carrying out justice, but I like a how lot you times, put a superhero, a fake character in that. <laughs> well, yes, think about it. Like every superhero ever is also a killer. Like they have to be because they're killing the bad guy. Yeah. Like they're going after the, there's actually a meme about, uh, like how the Batman doesn't kill. But then there's like a meme about how many people he's actually killed. He's just like, let them to die. Like he didn't actually kill them, but he did leave them to die. Yeah. Well, like that's it. So, (laughs) you know, 
even if they're not murdering them on the big screen, they're they're fighting them. Like there's there, there's combat. You know what I mean? And they're yeah. they're going up against evil. Or you wickedness. can't do that in a calm way. Yeah. Like how are you going to do that? Like, imagine trying to be Bob Ross while also taking out the bad guy. Like it just. <laughs> It doesn't make Can sense. Can you imagine Bob Ross <laughs> punching somebody that knows him, breaking it, and be like, oh, that's just a happy accident. <laughs> Smacking him with his palate. <laughs> oh, look, a happy accident. A Your nose is broken. Halo blue. Oh, my right gosh. To the face. You uh, know what? I mean, Back in the day, there was Celebrity Deathmatch, you know, on MTV. Did you ever see that? Yes. Uh, I don't know if many of our listeners have seen that, but it was hilarious. And I think a celebrity death match between the Batman and Bob Ross would be awesome. <laughs> if they, oh this, my god! This episode gets algorithmic, <laughs> al- algorithmically platformed somehow. Maybe the people will hear it and they'll make a oh, man. celebrity death match. The difference about. between Batman and Bob Ross—that's the title of the podcast. There you go. Oh there um, you go. yeah. So, uh, anyways, your question about just anger. So, ask it again. Like how should so a, can, how should a Christian handle anger? What are some instances where anger is justified, and how do you utilize righteous anger? Okay, so the first way of how we handle anger as a Christian, um, you kind of answer it in the follow up question. Essentially, is that being angry is not a sin. The Bible doesn't say if you're angry, you suck and you're a horrible person and you you're a sinner. Like it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Uh, Ephesians does say that. It's within the context, I believe, might be wrong. I think it's in the context of uh, husbands and wives, but um, I could be wrong. I know it precedes that. It's around that same chapter. Um, but the Bible says clearly, don't let the sun go down on your anger, which means, hey, don't go to bed angry. Like if you're going to be angry, process the anger and then move forward. I think. Uh, we've said this before, or I have, whether it be on the podcast or preaching, is that emotions are given to us by God to process, but they're not given to us by God to stay in and like to never process. They're not given to us by God to just sit in and not move forward from any particular emotion, whether that be joy, like we uh, actually joy, I don't think would be an emotion. Happiness would be probably more of an emotion. Um, So say we're happy, right? Like, well, we're not, God doesn't tell us to always be happy and to never grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn, like cry with those who cry. Like there is a time and a place for everything. Even Solomon talks about that. There's a time and a place for everything. So you should feel your anger a hundred percent. If people don't feel their anger, uh, they become boiling pots. Like they are ready to explode at any moment And honestly, not to get too dark here, but if you don't ever feel your anger, you quickly become a sociopath and you can easily uh, hurt people, like hurt people really, really, really bad, whether that be physically or emotionally or whatever, um, because you don't feel your anger. And so you just take it out on other people without even knowing it. Um, And so you got to be careful with that. This is the reason why you need to feel your anger. You need to And what I say, what I mean by feel your anger is you need to see where is this coming from? Why am I angry about this? And then here is where you either decide to stay in it or move forward. Can I do anything about this? Yeah. So I'm getting a sense that there's a way of processing your anger that functions kind of like a vent in that uh, the goal here is to not lose Mm self-control. And so if you let it, if you just 
stuff it away and sit on it, then you could come to a point where everything just blows up and the definition of everything just blowing up is a loss of self-control. And if you lose self-control, then in just moments you can do and say things that will just destroy relationships or destroy your life, destroy your workplace or whatever it is. Yeah, anger can be, and most of the time, because we don't know how to process it, is destructive. But anger can be very helpful and be very constructive. Like it actually could help us a lot because it tells us more about ourselves, about what, about places maybe we need to grow, about relationships we need to invest in or not invest in. It can tell us a lot about what matters to us in in life, what matters to us in our community, what matters to us across this world. And like you asked, you know, when is it okay for someone to exercise righteous anger? Like, I'm gonna keep going back to this always, like looking at the scripture and seeing what breaks God's heart should break your heart. Looking at the scripture and seeing what angers God, essentially, which is sin, which is things that go against him, like they should also make you angry. And you should you should exercise your anger always in self-control. Saying that, and that's why I said like the last thing of, okay, what can I actually do about this? Because if you're angry about something that's going on, let's just say it's uh, poverty. Or let's just, well, actually, let's do this. Uh, let's say you're angry about uh, human trafficking. Right, I just went through when we, when we were in Greece, we uh, went through a training with A21, um, which stands for Abolish Slavery in the 21st Century, and it was started by uh, Christine Kane, who is here for our women's conference. Uh, she is in October, and she is angry at human trafficking. It doesn't just break her heart. She's not just sad for people who are trafficked. She hates the fact that human trafficking exists and her mission is to put traffickers in jail and to free slaves whether they be uh sex slaves whether they be um just um labor slaves or whatever that might be that is her goal that is a great use of righteous anger because it's something that god hates as well god hates human trafficking. God hates the fact that people are being manipulated into selling themselves. Um, God hates that. And so that's an opportunity where Christine Kane probably said to her husband, can we do anything about this? Is there anything that we can do? Are we just going to stay angry about it and never do anything? Because if we can do something about it, we don't, we might not ever lose that anger, but at least we have a place to put it. We have a place to, um, to funnel it. Right. And I think that's the thing about like, can I do anything about it? When I was growing up and playing uh, playing football, um, I was an angry, angry kid. Like I've always had to deal with anger. And I was an angry uh, teenager for just some things that were going on in my life. And I was mad at God and mad at the world and mad at my family and mad at myself. And I just was angry. And one of the ways that I used that, funneled it, was on the football field. Like that's one of the places I funneled my anger. And, you know, I don't know, you might, gather this uh, if you've ever played a game with me a sport with me but I would talk trash and I would be ruthless and I would want to take your head off and the funny thing is I was a quarterback and I still would want to do that like I still would want to hit people and like want them to hit me and talk trash to them and because that was one of the ways that uh, that I funneled my anger now as I've gotten older I've realized I can't do that like I can't just go somewhere and uh you know, rip somebody's head off in football and 
<laughs> and get my anger out that way. So I have to figure out a way, a, a figure out like why, where is that coming from, that anger? Why am I feeling it? Uh, what is it supposed to be teaching me? And um, what does God say about this particular thing? Is this something that God is angry about? Or is this something that I'm trying to take control of and I'm angry about? Should I let it go or should I do something about it? And I think that's that's gotta be key. Yeah, I really like that you brought up Christine Kane in A21 because that's where my mind went to also because she when she was here and she was talking a little bit about it bear in mind all the time that she's been doing this i don't really know how long it's it's been a long time right yeah like she's been at this for a while and yeah i think it's 15 years 10 or 15 yeah. years so it's so it's pretty significant and then even now when she talks about it you can hear it in her voice like when mm-hmm. she says i my job is to put these people in prison yeah and she's just like yeah, that's where she's going. And one yeah, of Yeah, she's angry about it. Like right. she's very intense when she says that. And that's like a that helps that's productive in the sense that it builds up bravery because that's not exactly the safest occupation, you know, to yeah. be going after people like that. hundred percent. And it's also um I think that there are a lot of people, particularly in our culture today, that they're so they have such bleeding hearts of emotion all the time. Like they're so soft on everything that they don't even want to see criminals put in prison. They don't even want that to happen. Yeah. So they don't have the courage to go after people who are doing these atrocities. Yeah. And so anger, I think helps push back against that. And I think that's one of the reasons why people who've act, who've experienced the ground level cost of these tragedies in their own lives, uh, you know, that instills a sense of anger in them that they can then use productively. Yeah. But it's the crazy part about it though, is that those people don't have to use that anger productively. Like they could choose to just completely destroy their own life as a consequence of their own life or even their own mission. Right. So like I was just thinking about the fact of, um, you know, there's a movement going around of people basically defacing, uh, works of art which recently um, someone, I believe there's a Andy Warhol like car or whatever. I don't know if it was in Pittsburgh or not, but I saw the headline that um, people who are fighting for uh, fighting for fighting against climate change. I don't know which one you want to say specifically the ones who it's so hard. Do you support climate change or not support climate change? Which is what? The climate change movement. The people who support the climate change movement, right? Um, A lot of them have been going around and like defacing uh, pieces of art, pieces of artwork. Now, what the heck does that do for your climate change stuff? Like maybe you want to talk about the chemicals and blah, blah, blah. And we shouldn't be, uh, you know, we shouldn't be... uh, holding this in such high esteem because they used improper techniques and chemicals in their painting. And all, we, we're not going to go into how ludicrous that is, but um, they are using their anger in the wrong way, right? Like they're using their anger to hurt and to deface other people and other things. And that is not what we're trying. That's not what you should be doing because like, again, where does that anger come from? And does it matter to God? Right. The, the the misdirected nature of their anger causes ambiguity in the way people perceive their movement. Um, you know, because there's a lot of people who probably see that and they think, oh, well, these people, they just have an issue with Renaissance art or they have an issue with, with art. Yeah. 
They're just oh, they're the, those are the people that throw the soup at the art and glue themselves to the floor. <laughs> yeah, like that's just what they do. And what is that like? What is that doing for your movement? It's it's defacing your movement as it is, you know. Um, and then you even think about uh, in 2020 the high the height of the BLM movement in 2020. Like there were riots happening where towns were getting burned. And is that really helpful? Like if you want to if you want to protest and you want to walk through the streets and you want to chant, that is okay. I'm fine with that. That's, that's, you know, racism makes me angry too. I'm not in the same situation, but it makes me angry as well. However, once you step over the line and you start to deface property and you start to burn businesses down that were helping other people that were, you know, whatever, like that's when you, that's when your anger crosses the line into not being self-controlled. Yeah. And it's also the case. So with that particular example, you have to be very careful with these feelings of anger and well for for one reason you could use them productively and you could make very real advances on the movement on the cause that you're trying to satisfy so for instance in in that particular case they took anger that should have been directed at very specific police precincts for very specific abuses and they generalized it to all police precincts yeah. everywhere just for the fact of policing. Mm -hmm. And it just destroyed the whole movement. It, yeah. it removed all credibility yeah. at that point. The anger has to be funneled and pinpointed to those particular precincts and those particular people within, again, self-control. So the anger has to be subordinated to a guiding ethic. Yeah. Like it has to be controlled by something other than itself. Mm -hmm. and Otherwise, just you're just being a toddler. Right. right, exactly. Like, yeah, 100%. Like I have That's a exactly three-year-old right now who's the most intense three-year-old you'll ever meet in your life. And when he's mad, man, he just starts throwing things and tearing stuff up and trying to hit me, which only makes his life harder because I will spank him back. Like, And like, you know, he starts yelling at me and screaming and I'm like, dude, you've got to, you're not helping yourself right now at all. And that's what happens. Like little kids don't know how to deal with their anger. So they end up hurting someone, hurting themselves, trashing their house. Like that is not the way to go. You have to have self-control in your anger. There has to be a guiding ethic and there's gotta be boundaries to your anger or else you become insane. Yeah, well, no, the, the toddler example is perfect because that tech, that's technically what's happening with, with so many of these people. It's, it is the manifestation of the two, the manifestation of the two-year-old is the adult. Yeah. And that's where the dot, the, uh, the domination of rage over every every other guiding ethic that they have. Yeah. So, um, and I think what happens is people hear this, like they'll hear you say that and they'll think, oh, well, you're just telling me to suck it up or you're telling me not to be angry about this or you're invalidating the problem. But that's not what you're saying. Yeah. What you're saying is that, look, you have an opportunity because a real injustice has taken place. You have an opportunity to change something now if you do it correctly, mm -hmm. if you take the right steps and if you're controlled in the way that you do it and if you're measured and if you're aimed in the right direction, you can use this anger to motivate the change, but you have to do it in a measured way or else it will fail every time. Yeah. And so it's not that people hear this. It's not that you have to, you're telling them, oh, well, it's not, it's not a big deal. It's immature of you to see it as a big deal. You need to just chill. That's not what you're saying at all. Mm -hmm. It's, you're saying that this has to be guided and done properly. And if it is, then you can affect real change. Absolutely. Right? You, you actually, uh, delineated here between, I think what we're doing, uh, we're delineating between anger and rage. 
We live in a day and age of rage, like rage on the internet, rage in the streets, like, you know, triggered, like triggered, the, the word triggered to me just means I'm going to start raging now um, because at least, you know, the meme yeah, went it around. Yeah, implies like, explosiveness. Yes, right. exactly. And the difference between righteous anger and an anger that you need to feel and rage is self-control and is, are those boundaries, right? Like, um, for instance, and this I think would be more of, it, it, it can bring in some other ethics into it, but if you were like in, uh, in a war, right? And you were in a war against uh, tyranny, let's take World War II. That one's a good one. I don't think anybody can argue the other side ethically of that one so right. at least we'll go with I'm that. sure some people will try but <laughs> not, no no modern wars I'm not gonna talk about any modern wars okay we're gonna talk about World War II World War II 100% we should have been angry about what was going on to the Jews and to the people in Germany and we should have been angry at the Nazi party and we should have been angry at uh at Hitler but if any one of those soldiers which I'm sure it happened if any one of those soldiers got to the point where it became rage, it is an unethical war. I mean, we actually have, in the Geneva Convention, we actually have laws, rules set up for war so that things don't become rage and they just become like, hey, we're trying to keep the peace. We're trying, we're doing this for freedom's sake. We're doing this for the benefit of the people that are in the country and the benefit of the people who are out of the country. Like that's the reason that those rules, those laws exist is because if you allow your anger, your righteous anger, your proper uh, ethical anger to blow itself up into rage, you become a monster. Right, yeah. Your, your your actions in the midst of rage become the other side's propaganda against you. Yeah. And it's like, once once we figured that out, I don't know how far back in history you have to go in terms of military history, but once you figure that one out, it's like, yes, that is so important. Yeah, but we're, seeing that, we're seeing that problem, though, on any side of any issue right now on the internet. Yeah, right? they're just destroying their own issue. They're destroying yeah. their own platforms because yeah. of their... Yes, they're they are raging toddlers surrounding possibly kernels of truth at some level yeah. or or kernels of real issues. And they're whatever impetus there was to solve these issues, they're just destroying it through their rage. Yeah, well even so even look at uh the big thing right now is Twitter, right? Elon Musk taking over Twitter Twitter trolling everyone which by the way even if you don't respect Elon for a lot oh of gosh, things you've so got to right you've now. got to go I don't even watch Twitter I don't even, I'm not even on Twitter but Michael sends me all of his uh all of his tweets like his subtweets and stuff and they are hilarious like it doesn't matter what side you fall on they're hilarious um he is a master troller of the highest order um and it's almost like he put as much time into becoming a troll as he did in creating tesla and it's wonderful it's pretty impressive <laughs> um so anyways if you look at twitter um look at the juxtaposition of twitter now uh and any other social media platform like elon is like yes you can say what you want to say on this platform because I believe in freedom of speech. Um, and so, and he is not going to, he's actually, he seems like he's really conservative, but he actually is more of like a liberal conservative. Um, and he believes in free speech and he believes in whatever you want to say, go ahead and say it because I'm going to say whatever I want to say. And we can all live in this 
you know, and the symbiosis of being able to talk back and forth and having conversation and it's fine. Then you look at Instagram um, and Facebook, essentially, Meta, whatever. Um, you look at them and they are still censoring people for quote unquote hate speech. I just, somebody that I personally follow um, posted something on their story the other day that was not egregious at all, was not like over the top or anything. He was stating a fact of life and he got shut down on Instagram. And he got shut down because somebody reported him and didn't like what he said. So then he gets shut down. And so when you say that that's the ammo for the other side, it's 100% correct. Like if I'm someone who's gonna speak truth and who believes in the sanctity of freedom of speech and being able to say whatever I wanna say and you can say whatever you wanna say, if I believe in that, but then you have another entity that's shutting you down and saying, no, you can't say anything because it triggers people, then that is that is an, a, an act of rage essentially against freedom of speech, against the other side, and you are killing you are absolutely killing your cause. Because what they want to say, well, at the foundation, if this was wholesome, right? What people would want to say is, you can say you can have freedom of speech, but hey, be mindful of everybody else, please. Don't be an idiot. Like, honestly, at the foundation of that, that's what they should be saying. Hey, don't, come on, don't be an idiot. Like, don't be stupid. But as soon as they start blocking people, and as soon as they start cutting people off and fact-checking them and all that stuff, they have now crossed the line into, I am building a case against myself because of my quote-unquote anger um, towards a certain, you know, side of the fence. And it's not just liberal, left, right. Everybody does this. Every side of the fence does this um, when you get to the extremes. And that is killing our community in America. That's killing our sense of family. That's killing our sense of a nation. That's killing even the church on the inside. I just preached a message at Summit Church this last weekend about how uh, so many Christians don't live a filled life, don't live a fulfilling life. They think that something is so empty and yeah, they're saved and they're going to heaven, but they just don't feel they don't feel like they're supposed to feel with joy and peace and hope. And the reason why is because we are at each other's throats all the time. And even if we don't, even if we don't think that, even if we don't think it, we aren't, we aren't connecting in community. We're not unified. And that goes back to raging and not having any kind of self-control and saying, you believe different than I do, or your ethics aren't the same as I, mine are. So I'm just going to be angry at you to the point that I just write you off and I try to squash you. Like if we can't agree on something, you just need to die and be gone. And that is that is a form of rage that is tearing apart uh, our country. And it doesn't seem like it's that violent. It doesn't seem like, for me to define it as rage seems kind of off, but that's really what it is because it's anger out of control. Therefore it's rage. Yeah, you don't want to, on a societal level, you don't want to squash your opponents and you also don't want to squash uh, people in terms of your individual relationships or especially your romantic relationships because if you defeat the other person then you have to live with a defeated person yeah it's like it's not like it's not like once you defeat someone in an argument they just disappear that becomes abuse to exist yeah they, they they become a defeated person and a defeated person is resentful they're bitter they're not out for your benefit they're looking for opportunities to take you out like all of these things you just create people like that all around you, mm -hmm. the more you kind of try to strong arm your own thoughts onto people vis-a-vis -vis rage. Yeah, anger, anger is an emotion that can and should be controlled. 
and it can produce great things. But when anger is not controlled and you just let it run or you never feel it and so, excuse me, you, lo- you never feel it and so it's just bottled up inside of you and one day somebody comes by and shakes the bottle and opens the cap and then throws Mentos in there. Like when that happens, it becomes rage. And so that's why, again, going all the way back to the beginning, you've got to decide where did your anger come from? Why are you feeling it? Does it matter to God and can you do anything about it? Like if you filter your anger through those four things, I think that you are on the road to doing the right thing and to being controlled in your anger. Yeah, that's a pretty good place to wrap this up. I just want your hot take on one thing before we go, and that is what is... Time travel. Yeah. No, just... <laughs> solve, solve it in two minutes. Actually, solve it in two minutes, but it'll be really 30 seconds because I'm going to start time traveling. Um, so what is where does vengeance come into play when it comes to rage? because it's my understanding that we aren't supposed to take vengeance for ourselves ever at all. We are not. And so where is the interplay between vengeance and anger, even if it's righteous anger? Well, okay. So even the things that we can be angry about, we should be taking to God. I think we see this in Psalms, right? Uh, David cries out for vengeance. Like David cries out for God to to vindicate him um, uh, against his enemies. And like, I think that's the way we have to filter that. Like it has to be done through um, prayer, which really is just talking to God. And if you got to yell, then yell. If you got to cuss because you're just angry about something, then cuss about it. God can handle it. It's going to be fine. Don't cuss God out. But like, you know, if you're angry about something, go ahead and let it fly to God. And I think that like, so you filter it through there, right? And then absolutely you're correct. The Bible is very clear that vengeance is the Lord's. So even if, this is hard for me to say because it's never happened before, but we've seen it in, uh, at least to me, but we've seen it in other narratives. If something was to happen to one of my kids, God forbid, please Lord, no. If something was to happen to one of my kids and someone else did something to them, I am a very intense person and I would want to take vengeance upon them. And I would probably go out and find this person. And if not kill them, I would you know, I would mess them up essentially. Is that a proper use of anger? No, it becomes rage and it becomes vengeful. Is it okay for me to be angry that they did something to my kids? Absolutely. Is it okay for me to express that? Absolutely. But once it turns into, I'm going to take your life and not allow the justice system to take over or not allow God to take care of things, then that is when it becomes wrong. Now, even me saying that, I don't want to believe that. Like, I'll be honest yeah. with you. I don't want to believe that that's the truth, but that's what the Bible says. And I, that's, y'all don't very many times hear me say like, this is what the Bible says. And I know that that's true, but I don't want to agree with it. This is one of those times where like, I hope I never have to put this into practice. However, it is something that is true that I don't necessarily like (laughs) at all. Like I would much rather just be able to be the wild west and be like, you know, or Aniga Montoya, like you killed my father, prepare to die. Like I would love that, but that's just not what the Bible uh, alludes to. That's not what the Bible says. And so we cannot be vengeful in our anger. That That is a sense of rage. That is a sense of I'm gonna take things into control and not trust God that he can take care of it. Yeah, that's that is uh, 
man, that's a, something that you can spend a lot of time reflecting on because I think that maybe most people share your view on that, on not wanting that part to be true, even though that we know that it is. And so, yeah, especially in America, like where I can carry my gun and I can shoot you if you uh, upset me, like in Texas, where I'm from, you definitely can. There's a, there's, I don't know if Pennsylvania has this, but we have a homestead law that like, if you come onto our property and we don't like that, we can shoot you. Yeah. And that's it. Um. Like, that's the only reason <laughs> you just, you're on our property. And we said, don't be on our property or we'll shoot. And if you don't leave, we get the, pro- we get the opportunity to shoot you with no questions asked. <laughs> like how wild is that? That's pretty wild. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't mess with Texas. Don't indeed. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you guys for joining us on the Uloft podcast and uh, hope this was beneficial to you. I think that everyone deals with anger at some point along their walk. And so I think that um, you'll be able to get some information out of this that will help you when that happens to you. Uh, We will see you at United. Let's see. Well, how many we have left? This, this we is, have uh, two. So this is going to release on Friday. We've got two left. We've got one on the November 29th and we've got one December 6th, uh, November 29th. Michael is preaching. It's going to be a good night. Um, finishing up our essentials series. And then December 6th, we are just hanging out having a good time and celebrating Christmas and, uh, celebrating the end of the semester. And both of those are at the Ohio room at the hub. Yes. Behind yes. Me. All right, 727, be there, don't miss it. See ya. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Uloft podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to it. Also, come out and join us for a Unite every Tuesday at 727 p.m. This is a time of music, friends, and important teaching. You don't want to miss it. You can learn more about Unites, as well as everything else we do, by visiting unitediup.com. Thank you all for hanging out with us, and we will see you in the next episode.